Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. All right, well, let's go to the Bible. Luke chapter 10. Um, excited to preach this word to you guys this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. If you have your Bible app, please open it up or a physical Bible, please open it up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading a famous passage of scripture today in the story of Mary and Martha, the sisters. How many of you guys are familiar with this story? You've probably heard this taught a hundred times before. So hopefully I can hit on it today with a different perspective, but this ties into our sermon series that we've entitled presence people about a lifestyle of worship, prayer, and intimacy. Okay. So you guys ready to read the word? Will you read it with me, please? Let's do it. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Today, I want to talk from the topic, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Let's pray. Lord, we begin by receiving your word that one thing is necessary. We're just going to go ahead and receive it, God. Before it's explained or taught or teased out, God, we just, we receive the word of God. We receive the seed of God into our spirits. And we declare that today, the word that you have for us, Jesus, will bear 100 fold fruit in our prayer lives. Lord, we ask boldly, give us the prayer life of Jesus. We want the ministry of Jesus, not just in raising the dead, but in ministering to God. We want to minister to God in the way that Jesus ministered to the Father. We want the prayer life of Jesus. We want the priestly ministry of Jesus. We want to get lost in your presence, God, for hours. We want to be completely consumed by your gaze, Jesus. Lord, make us intimates in this place this morning. Make us intimates, Lord. Break our hearts for your presence. Lord, put in us an abandon that says, it doesn't matter what gets done right now. I am going to be with Jesus. I am going to see Jesus. I'm going to be seen by Jesus. I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship Jesus. And I expect to be blessed with an encounter from Jesus. If you receive that, just say amen. Amen. 
amen, amen, and amen. One thing is necessary. So um, this passage of scripture convicts me. How about you? Honestly, this passage of scripture is so convicting. Um, We don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. The Bible prophesies the possibility of our lifestyles. But it also convicts us in places where the Bible offers us a significant upgrade in our lifestyle. And I think the story of Martha and Mary is one of those passages of Scripture that no matter how many times I've heard it preached... And no matter how many times I've read it through, every time I read it, I feel conviction. Because I noticed that, that Martha, even though her intent was good, she still neglected to choose what was most important to Jesus. And when I read this passage of scripture, I have to think how often I have attempted to do ministry that I know is good and yet neglected in the moment what was most important to the heart of Jesus. The one I say that I love and follow, the one that I say that my soul has been saved by, the one that I claim to be in love with, how often do I leave him on red and I go and do some other ministry for him that I claim is good. I want to live more like Mary and less like Martha. But I think we could all agree we live in a Martha culture. We live in a Martha culture, man. Like, I don't know if you guys have been on the gram today, but hustle culture is like alive and well. We talk about conviction when we read the Bible. I know a lot of times we'll experience condemnation when we look at Instagram. Listen, I've already started the sermon, okay? If you guys were waiting, I've already started. So we look at Instagram and it's like the hustle culture, man, just hops off the feed and into your heart, doesn't it? Like, oh, you're not hustling. You know, you're not grinding. You ain't going to be shining. Hashtag team no sleep, man. Hashtag no days off, bro. We are hustling. And, and the enemy will even uh, do that to you in terms of ministries, right? You know what I'm saying, Chauncey? Like one of the hardest times for me to get on Instagram is Sunday afternoon, right after people have been saved, healed, set free, delivered. We could have just had a revival service. And I pull up Instagram and I look at my friend's feed and I'm like, we may have baptized 12, they baptized 24. And you know what the enemy says? Not working hard enough. Not hustling hard enough. Not grinding hard enough. You better get up earlier, bro. I know you read about that one pastor. He gets up at five to pray. You getting up at four now, (laughs) right? You know what I'm talking about? We live in a culture uh, of, of Martha's. And, And when I read this passage of scripture, I feel conviction because I can't tell you how often I deprive myself of the ministry. My soul desires most, most not on the surface. I'm talking about to the depth of who God has made me to be, which is a presence person. And listen, this is not just a style of a particular ministry that we attend called legacy. 
This is an identity that God has formed us all for as believers. We are all called to be presence people. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you're saved and set free through the cross. You are called to be a presence person, a worshiper, somebody who lives in the presence of God. You guys, uh, you remember Colossians chapter one, verse 27. It says that Christ lives in you, the very hope of glory. I may have mentioned this last week, but let's just remember together. Jesus has taken up residence upon the throne of your spirit. God dwells in you, presence people. The living God, the creator of the universe lives on the inside of you. Are you serious? Does that not offend your intellect? Like that is craziness. So remind me again, what is it that you cannot not do? Though it may be impossible with men, nothing shall be impossible with God. All the encounters that you hear about, all the testimonies you've read about through, you know, like the God's generals, revivalists, their, their stories, the encounters that they've had. Listen, those are all testimonies of what's also available to you. And then some, why? Because Christ lives in you, which is the hope of glory as a new creation. Your natural habitat is glory. As a new creation, your natural habitat is the raw, unfiltered presence of God. If you have given your life to Jesus, here's what your soul wants most. Now, I know maybe social media is telling you, here's what your soul wants most. That money, bro. Or whatever, fill in the blank. But if you've been saved and redeemed by Jesus, here is what your soul wants most. You know why? Because your soul no longer belongs to you. It belongs to Jesus. And here's what Jesus wants most. Glory. Glory. Depriving yourself of the glory of God is like being a fish out of water. You're not going to survive long. You're not going to last. I'm telling you. I remember as a kid, like my grandmother had a sign like, in her office, like seven days without prayer makes one week. I'm like, who wrote that? Seven days? How about seven hours, dude? Seriously, man, I can't do it. I'm just going to be honest. I can't do it. Listen, I have friends. They're like, man, I prayed this morning for five minutes. I'm locked in. I'm ready to go. I'm prophesying to people in public. I feel so connected to Jesus. I'm filled with the joy of the Lord. Bless God. I got the victory. Hallelujah. I'm like, man, I could never have that on five minutes. I'm sorry to say, man, maybe I'm too fleshy, maybe too carnal. Maybe I haven't fasted enough. I don't know. But if I don't get my prayer time in, I get hangry. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I get hangry. I'm not the most fun person to be around. I mean, I'll fake it till I make it. But in reality, my soul is saying, dude, you better go get in the presence of God because you got a bad attitude, bro. And now like my wife knows, like when we first got married, I was like, Hey, listen, I'm gonna need a lot of prayer time. (laughs) What do you mean you need a lot of prayer? Well, I need like at least an hour a day. Like where just nobody bugs me. I'm just all by myself where I just get to sit with the Lord and open the word and just listen. And then we had three kids, you know, and now I figured out how to have prayer time while I change a diaper. Bless God. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Back there. Right, no, back. I said, sit down in Jesus' name. That, that's just what you do. Now, as a father, I figured out how to commune with God uh, in the midst of, you know, taking the kids to school or taking Isaiah to jujitsu. Like I've turned our minivan into a prayer closet. And I'm like, listen, I, I, I know y'all back there watching a movie, but daddy's up here in the prayer closet. You just got, you're just going to have to deal with that because I don't have a whole lot of time these days. And I remember telling that earlier, I said, listen, I, I just, I need a lot of prayer. And, and she believed me and she watched me and we did life together. And so now when I get hangry in the spirit, she's like, bro, go pray. <laughs> she knows, she knows like, dude, you, when's the last time you like really set with the Lord? Well, it's been like three or four days. Yep. Go pray. You, you need to go pray. You're talking out of your head. You're saying things you don't mean. You got a bad demeanor. You need to go pray, bro. Like clean it up. Go pray. And you know, sometimes you're in those places where you feel so broken. It's hard to pray. You know what I'm talking about? And so there's been times whenever she said, Hey, you know what? You need to go find that person in your life that is a presence person and you need to go sit with them and go to their church or you need to go do something with one of your friends that pray. Because whatever's going on with you, you have to break out of it. It's true. And, and I, I just, I now know that about myself. My wife now knows that about me and, and it's possible. And there's been, a, um, it's, it's been a lot of people, a lot of people throughout history, talk about how much prayer that they needed. One of which was, was Martin Luther. I grabbed this quote. I'd heard it once upon a time, but I grabbed this quote. He said, I got so much stuff to do today that I'm going to have to spend the first three hours in prayer to get it all done. Isn't that crazy? Because oftentimes, what do we do first, right? Whenever we know, okay, I'm busy. What is the first thing that goes off of our Google calendar? It's prayer, right? Man, I'm so busy. I got emails piled up. I got to get about my business today. So you jump out of bed and, you know, instead of praying, you look at your phone or instead of praying, you answer emails or instead of praying, you get right to work and you hurry up and you go about your business. And the whole time you realize, I know I need to pray, but man, I am too busy to pray. And God totally understands my heart. And I'll pray a little bit later on today when I get some time. And guess what happens? You end up getting so busy that you never actually pray when you said that you were going to. I know a lot of people say, okay, well, you got to take time to pray. Listen, whenever we encourage someone to take time to pray, we're not saying, hey, buddy, uh, take gently, softly, quietly, calmly, take the time. to." No, it's you, bro, you better, you better take time to pray. You got to take it. You got to take time to pray, man. You know why? Because the enemy will ensure that you are so busy trying to do things for God that you never actually spend time with God. He'll make sure that your to-do list is so long that you never actually pray or spend any time with God. And don't think that just because I'm a pastor, like I've got this figured out, you know, it's like, oh yeah, well you, you, you guys get paid to pray. So you, you obviously fine. No, listen, 
I am tempted in the same way, dude. Like I've got plenty of stuff to do and I've got to fight just as hard as you to take time to pray. I'm telling you, it's true. But sometimes, you know, I think about ministries that we've started like the prayer room and like a few months back, actually Todd and I were doing a prayer set together and I was thinking to myself, I was like, Lord, did I selfishly start this ministry so I would have an excuse to pray more and nobody could bother me? Because <laughs> I, I, I want more prayer time, guys. I want more encounters. I want more times with Jesus. I want more like life-changing, undeniable, face-to-face meetings with Jesus. Like we, we depend upon that around here. But, but I think if we're honest, a lot of us may be able to admit today, man, I have been in a Martha season. I've been doing all this stuff for Jesus and I'm not actually spending time with Jesus. And when you do that, here's what happens. You end up with a deficiency. You know how doctors will tell you, oh, you have an iron deficiency. So you need to take this supplement or, oh, you have this deficiency or that deficiency. You should supplement it with this. Well, I think that a lot of folks that would consider themselves to be Christians are like Martha and they have an intimacy deficiency. And it's showing up in certain symptoms. And the Lord Jesus, who is the great physician, would have a supplement for you today. And that is called sitting at the feet of Jesus as a presence person and listening more than you talk and worshiping more than you complain and receiving what he has for you today as daily bread. I don't know about you, man, but I'm tired of being spiritually hangry. You got to eat your daily bread. You got to feast on the word of life. You got to, if anybody is thirsty, let them come to Jesus and drink, right? Like how often do we deprive ourselves? It's just like being hangry. Just like my wife knows when I haven't prayed, I know when she hasn't eaten. I know. Like we could be in the car and she is going off. Not really, but it's a parable. She doesn't really go off. You know what I mean? (laughs) She's just like spiraling. You use that word. So I'm using that word. And then I just like, I don't even try to fix it. I'm just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. I hear that. I turn into Chick-fil-A. Yep. We're going to have a number one with a Sprite and some Chick-fil-A sauce. Just have that. And then we'll get back to processing your problems in about an hour. And she's like, I ain't got no more problems. (laughs) Chicken sandwich. Done fixed everything. You know, honestly, man, I I think if we are honest, I think, I think some of us have spent a season spiritually hangry and listen, there are some symptoms showing up in your life in the same way that symptoms showed up in Martha's ministry to the Lord. Notice to the Lord, 
She was literally doing things for God and she was showing symptoms of an intimacy deficiency. So yes, even us as Christians, even people who are on fire, even people who go to prayer room, even people who never miss a Sunday, even people who give in the offerings, we can all have symptoms of a real true intimacy deficiency. So can I give you guys what those symptoms are? Here's number one. The first symptom is this. It is a complaining spirit. When you are spiritually hangry, you are a complainer. (laughs) This could be potentially challenging. Just bear with me for a minute, okay? Uh, So a complaining spirit. Look at verse 40 here. I've, I've taken different things that Martha has said for our symptoms of an intimacy deficiency. And the first thing she said is, Lord, you obviously don't care. (laughs) When you are spiritually hangry, you will land in that place of unbelief, unbelief and complaining. And you will start to complain. Lord, Lord, you obviously don't care about me. You obviously don't care about my situation. You obviously don't care that that person is mistreating me. You obviously don't care that my feelings have been hurt. You don't care. And when we choose to experience intimacy with God, I'm sure we could all testify to this. The byproduct is peace. In the presence of God is the atmosphere of heaven, which is peace. Anything that would disrupt peace must flee in the presence of glory. And so when we receive that peace, our soul receives satisfaction. There is nothing church family that is able to satisfy your soul. Like the presence of God, your soul will stay on E in the spirit until you allow your soul to get into that place that it desires most, which is the glory of God in the presence of Christ Jesus. This is the place that you are meant to belong, that you're meant to dwell, that you're meant to reside. And in this place, your soul is satisfied and you receive peace. No longer do you walk in disappointment and no longer do you constantly complain. I love what one preacher said. Complaining is the super glue to hell. It's the truth, man. You know, you know who loves complaining? Demons. They just love it. They just love a complaining spirit. Just love it. That's why I always speak over myself. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. Whenever I get to complaining, uh, it's uh, God talking to Moses. And he said, and you shall close your mouth and the Lord, your God shall fight for you. Right. Our words are the fruit of our lips. Right. That's what the Bible teaches, that our words are the fruit of of our lips. So here's the image I get when I start thinking about complaining and walking in a complaining spirit, that my complaints are like fruit that demons feed off of. So stop complaining and starve the demons out. Is that too much of a weird picture? But that's what I think about every time I start complaining, God begins to remind me, Hey, -uh. don't let that fruit be what sustains the enemy. Close your mouth 
and let me go to war for you. So the first, first symptom of an intimacy deficiency is a complaining spirit. Uh, the second symptom you'll notice in verse 40 is little reverence for authority. I want you to notice that it was Martha that invited the Lord Jesus into her home. Did you guys see that? The Bible did not say that both Mary and Martha invited Jesus into the home, but that it was Martha. So imagine this, like Martha's like, Jesus, come on into the house. How about this? Jesus, come on into the church. Jesus, come on into my ministry. Jesus, come on into my organization. Jesus, come on into my company. Jesus, come on in, come on in, come on in. And then Jesus comes in and then Martha begins to rebuke Jesus. You you look at verse 40. She said, uh, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Jesus, you better tell her right now to get up and start serving with me. The woman invited Jesus into her ministry and then rebuked Jesus that other people weren't serving him in the same way. That just sounds oddly familiar to me for some reason. Because we see it all the time. It's that intimacy deficiency. It's that Martha spirit. It's it's little reverence uh, for authority. And uh, one of the reasons I think that this uh, manifests is because... An intimacy deficiency will lead to a controlling spirit. I'm sure we could all testify. When we deprive our spirits of the presence of God, we're empty and we feel out of control. When you feel out of control, you know what you naturally do? Try to take control of everything. You start trying to take control of outcomes don't you? Well, I'm going to, if I do this and then I'll do this and then I'll do this and then that person better do this. And then not only are you controlling outcomes, now you're controlling people. And it all started because you're feeling out of control because you are in an intimacy deficiency. And so you start moving in this controlling spirit and eventually that will manifest towards people that God has given to you as a healthy and safe leader in your life. That'll manifest towards your parents. It'll manifest towards your pastors. It'll manifest towards people serving you. You just, you st- I'm controlling everybody around here because I got to make sure I get mine. Bless God. I got to make sure that I get what I want out of this situation. Ain't nobody going to cut me out. Bless God. I better take responsibility for myself and I'm not anti-personal responsibility, but at the end of the day, it is not you that provides for you. It is God that provides for you. And when we're in that place of not knowing what he's doing or what he's speaking, we'll just control everything and everybody just lock down. I got to control everybody. Listen, I've noticed that when we're not spending time in prayer, we get really controlling about outcomes. And I've noticed this with a lot of Christians. And I think the reason for that is because we have become convinced that our destiny is an outcome. And what I mean by that is like an outcome, like um, a certain number of followers. That's my destiny. My destiny is to be have this many followers or how about this a net worth my destiny is to have this much money in the checking account and and if it's not if it's not fame if it's not finance it could also 
um, it could also manifest as position. Well, my destiny is to have this title. My destiny is to have this placard on my desk. My destiny is to be known as the CEO. Well, my destiny is to be known as the PhD. My destiny is to be known as an apostle. No, your destiny is not a place. Your destiny is not a position. Your destiny is a person and his name is Jesus. If you will walk in intimacy with Jesus, he will guarantee that you end up exactly where you're supposed to end up. He will guarantee you have the position you're supposed to have. He will guarantee that you end up in the place that you're supposed to end up, that you have the net worth that you're supposed to have. I promise you, God is not as invested in outcomes as we are. He is very invested in the journey because since the beginning of time, he's simply been trying to take a walk in the cool of the day with his boy or with his girl. He wants intimacy more than he wants our works. That's what he wants. Jesus looked at Martha and he said, you're serving me and it's a distraction. My God, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but you're serving me and it's a distraction. Look at all the stuff I'm doing for you, God. This is, this is all good stuff. I got biblical precedent for doing these things. You're serving me and you're distracted. You're a distracted disciple. Okay, can you go back? Put, will, you, will you mind to put the uh, Luke 10, the, the, the first one, the first one, uh, the very first, the big scripture? Um, okay, check out right here. Martha was distracted. <laughs> that, that hits my heart, man. Will you go to the next one? So you got Martha, she's distracted. Uh, here's the other thing. She's anxious and she's troubled. Distracted, anxious, and troubled, but serving the Lord. Whose job description did I just read? Yep. People in ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody needs to give me two good amens. I'm like serving the Lord. I'm hustling in the Holy Ghost. I'm going after God. I'm trying to feed the poor. I'm trying to bless people in worship. I'm trying to preach to the people at the conference. I'm trying to do all these things, but I'm distracted. That is called an intimacy deficiency, distracted, anxious, and troubled. You need a supplement. (laughs) A supplement. You know what the supplement is? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Number three is uh, the symptom of an intimacy deficiency is, is you got a selfish spirit. You're not worried about anybody else's calling but your own. You're not worried about anybody else's destiny but your own. You're not worried about anybody else's ministry but your own. You're not worried about anybody else's anything. Job, house, kids, clothes. Nope, me, mine, my four, no more. Just a selfish spirit. What I'm doing, what I'm doing for the Lord. It doesn't, I don't know. I hate what my sister's doing because it's infuriating me because I'm so selfish. I need her to do what I'm doing. Just selfish. My sister has left me to serve all alone. She was all alone. Complaining, selfish. My sister has left me to do all of the work, everything we do in life. And when when we're in an intimate, deficient state, become selfish. Become selfish. Don't make 
It's the best I know how to say this. Don't make life-altering decisions in an intimacy-deficient state. Can I, can I try this side? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for some agreement. Don't make life-altering decisions in an intimacy-deficient state. It's amazing to me whenever we go through hard times and we'll partner with the assignment of the enemy by neglecting the feet of Jesus, neglecting the presence of God, neglecting the word of God, neglecting prayer, turning to other things and say, you know what I think God wants? God wants me to do this. That is not the time to make life altering decisions in an intimacy deficient state. Here's the time to make life altering decisions, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. What does his voice say to me? Where would God have me to go? What does it look like for me to follow Jesus in this season of my life? What do I need to do so that God could receive the most glory from my life in this moment? Like that's where you make those decisions. Amen. And I I mean, I'm just tired of my friends stepping away from the presence of God and making life-altering decisions that they claim are, is blessed by God. And then in 10 years from now, their life is a wreck. I'm tired of that. I'm, I'd actually, I feel angry about it, right? My counselor said, I need to feel anger more often. So <laughs> I feel angry about it, but it does. It burns my biscuits, man. Cause like, you know how, like, has anybody ever, like, shot a bow and an arrow? Yeah. I'm from the country, so we do things like that. And uh, Bliss has also. And one of the things, and I'm not an archer, but I know this. Like, if I alter, like, even by a millimeter, the bow, I will miss the target by a foot. You guys picking up what I'm laying down here. It's like, it's... When we're in that intimacy deficient state and we start making changes to the way that we live, it may seem like something small, but then we miss the target down the road. Oh, I'm just taking a season off of church. Don't do that. And were you in an intimacy full state? When you made that decision, probably not. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to take a break from the Bible. I'm just going to take a break from prayer. I'm just going to take a break from listening to God. I'm just going to take a break from all, I'm just going to take a break from all that stuff. You know why? Because I want to get out of debt. A season of getting out of debt could lead to a lifestyle of intimacy deficiency. Don't do it. Okay. I got to cruise through these. Number four is this, be demanding. <laughs> if controlling wasn't enough, Josh, demanding. Lord, you tell her to help me right now. That's an intimacy deficiency. Uh, Number five is this. Concentrate on things instead of relationships. This is something that religious people do like clockwork. It's the truth because it's a pitfall. It's a pitfall of a potential pitfall of religion is to focus on activities and not people. Neglecting people in the name of ministry is no ministry at all. That, that would, that's, I mean, that's not ministry. That's not biblical ministry. 
Martha was distracted with much serving. Mary was more focused on the meals. Excuse me. Martha was more focused on the meal that she was preparing for Jesus rather than simply upon the person of Jesus himself. And in today's Christian culture, we hear this word so often, relationship. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about an organization. It's about a relationship. It's not about a church. It's about a relationship. And we know it's extremely important to have a real relationship with Jesus and with other people. But when we are in a state of an intimacy deficiency, we are less considerate of other people and we are more focused on obtaining We get grabby. Everything's about stuff. Nothing's about people. Acquisition then becomes the goal of our life, not intimacy. Listen, if you will choose to be intimate with God, here's a guarantee. You'll feel wealthy. I'm just letting that sit. I feel it. I feel, I feel the, like, the tension. If you will choose to be intimate with Jesus, you will feel wealthy. There is no lack in God's presence. There is no lack in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. The streets are paved with gold. There are 12 foot walls of Jasper. There are stones built into the foundation of the throne. Like there is so much wealth in heaven. If you will choose to participate in the atmosphere of heaven, you will feel wealthy because you will not sense lack. I'm telling you, I, there have been times in my life where I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I used to be a missionary. I lived in India. I lived in a concrete box with no plumbing. And you know how wealthy I felt? Woo! I felt so rich. I walked around like a king in my $2 flip floppies. Because I, I, I was flowing in the currency of another reality which is the wealth of the kingdom of heaven. And I promise you, if you're feeling broke, (laughs) I wanted to say get drunk in the spirit, but if you're feeling, I ain't gonna say that, I ain't gonna say that, edit that out. But if if you're feeling broke, have an encounter with Jesus. I promise you, when you're full, every sacrifice pales in comparison to what you get in him. Tell you, I mean, there is so much we could talk. We could talk about the cost. We could do a sermon series on the cost of following Jesus. But you want to know the truth? When you find them, can't talk about the cost anymore because the cost pales in comparison to what you actually get when He shows up. It becomes a waste of time to talk about the cost because when you get Him, you get everything. Matthew 6, 33, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what will be added to you? All things. Come on, somebody. What you need is in the presence you already have. This side just is preaching me better today. What you need is in the presence that you already have, saints. You already have it. Jesus already paid for it on the cross so that you could have access 24-7, 365 to the presence of God. And what you need right now in your current situation is in the presence that you already have. 
All right, last thing, number six, is they're subject to emotional highs and lows. That, that right there is the symptom, that's the six symptoms of an intimacy deficiency. Yeah, I'm sorry, you, I'll get out of your way, you can take a picture. If you are going through one of these at any particular time, I want you to ask yourself, when's the last time I've eaten? The bread of life, the daily bread, because we all have a tendency to get hangry. What is going on? I'm just, I'm so sensitive today. I started the day good. Now I've crashed. I'm up and I'm down. I'm angry. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I'm complaining. I'm back and forth. Yep. When we choose not to be intimate with Jesus, we will suffer. We can suffer from a lack of emotional stability. We'll be on a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, for no apparent reason whatsoever. But when you connect to Jesus, we're reminded that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, meaning Jesus keeps us grounded. We'll be reminded that one of Jesus's names is the rock, which we fasten our feet to. So even in the midst of a storm, we can stay stable because we stay in the presence. And, you know, Paul talked about the waves and the winds of various doctrines, didn't he? Well, when we stay fastened to Jesus, we're not tossed to and fro by every doctrine that gets pushed on us or into our direction. Listen, I, I told the first service this morning, I got no problem with you watching the news or listening to the news. Listen, I listen to the news. I watch, I want to know what's going on in the world. But more than I listen to the news, I want to listen to Jesus in prayer because I want the voice of God to shape my thinking more so than whatever news anchor happens to be on the television in that particular moment. You with me? Subject to emotional highs and lows. That's the six. All right. I'm going to close with four takeaways. I'm going to do it in two minutes. All right. (laughs) I'm I'm going to hurry. Here's the four takeaways. Number one is this. Intimacy is more important than worker serving. Intimacy is more important than worker serving. And I am not allergic to hard work. I don't play that. I grew up around farm boys. When there was a work day at the church, you couldn't say, I'm praying. I said, bro, you better pray before. Right? I'm not allergic to hard work. I I believe in working hard. I believe in working in a way that honors God. All that you do in word or in deed, do in the name of Jesus. Right? Our hard work honors God. We do it unto the Lord, not just to our employer. Right? Right? Our hard work honors God and intimacy is more important than worker serving. And that's what we get from Luke chapter 10 here is that Jesus considered serving him to be a distraction from worshiping him. Intimacy is more important than worker serving. Get to work, serve, pour your heart out for others. But before you do any of that, pour your heart out to Jesus and let him pour his heart out to you. Number two, intimacy is a choice. Listen, hunger for God can be supernaturally imparted. 
But most often it's stewarded through intentional exposure to his presence. I say it again. Hunger for God can be supernaturally imparted. But most often it is stewarded through intentional exposure to his presence. The more you expose yourself, the hungrier you get. Intimacy is a choice. I have never met anybody that just serendipitously drifted off into some great, long-term, intimate relationship with Jesus. Just like in your marriage, we've mu- we must make a choice uh, to keep intimacy alive in our relationship with Jesus. Number three, intimacy is the antidote for anxiety. Listen, I'm, not tr- I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on stage. But listen, if you are wrestling with the emotional highs and lows, if you are wrestling with distraction, if you are wrestling with anger, if you're wrestling with anxiety, if you're wrestling with fear, if you're wrestling constantly and incessantly, could I invite you to please try intimacy? Please. Intimacy is the antidote for anxiety. Jesus said to Martha, you are troubled about so many things. You notice how all of the many things in Martha's life got reduced to one thing as Jesus pointed to Mary and said. And this is what intimacy does, church. It takes all of the plates that you have spinning. It takes all of the people that you need to have conversations with. It takes all of the problems that you've got listed out in the notes in your iPhone. It takes all of the events on your Google calendar. It takes all of the things and it reduces it down to one thing. And you realize actually the whole reason I'm alive is this, to be right here and to be with Jesus. Because these other things I'm gonna leave in this world, but this one thing I'm gonna do for eternity. And that's why it's more important. Here's Here's the last one, number four. And I like this one a lot. Intimacy causes Jesus to seek us. Anybody comes to me, Hebrews said, they must come to me by faith and they must know that I am a rewarder of anybody that will diligently seek me. And I know sometimes we think about reward, we start thinking about gifts, we start thinking about possessions, we start thinking about finance, we start thinking about favor. But listen, the greatest reward, church, is none of those things. It's just him. The greatest rewards of our life, guys, it's not going to be promotions. It's not going to be money. It's it's not going to be, you know, experience. It's going to be him. Him. Uh, my friend Tommy Green came and preached for us one time. And he was the lead singer of a punk rock metal band. What was his band called? Sleeping Giants. Sleeping Giant. Giant. One giant. And Tommy's a colorful guy. And one time he was coming through and he was like, hey, I want to preach at your church. He's like, is it okay that I invite myself? I was like, well, you don't normally do that, but sure. And I told the staff, he wouldn't care if I said that. Um, He's great. And I told the staff team, I said, listen, this guy preaches to Satanist. He might cuss in the mic. 
if he drops like an F-bomb or something, just pretend it didn't happen and just cruise on. So we were much smaller. We were a much smaller church. Because I didn't, you know, I knew Tommy a little bit, but not that well, so I just didn't know. And Tommy gave just one of the most Tommy but beautiful illustrations. He didn't cuss, by the way. Gave actually one of the best sermons that our church has ever received. God is my witness. I was so worried about what he would say. And by the end of the message, I'm telling you, there was nobody in the room that wasn't crying. We were all crying. I actually had an honorarium check for him that I ripped up and I wrote one for more. Because I was like, this this is not enough for what you just deposited. Um, Maybe it seems like a silly illustration, but it's always stuck with me. He's like, did any of you guys see The Matrix? Anybody see The Matrix? You know, it's like that moment where he's like, guns. And it's like just that white room and it's like all the stuff that's coming in. Okay, so four people. It's fine. (laughs) This illustration's not working out. It was much better when Tommy did it. But he was like, you know what I hope heaven is like? And he said it with such sincerity. He was like, I hope it's like, you know, that white room in the matrix where like, where you go to heaven and then like, and then just, it's just Jesus there. And I get to spend the first thousand years just looking at Jesus in that white room. (laughs) He's like, "That's that's what I imagine heaven to be like. I just get to look at Jesus. Like there's no distractions. There's nothing else that I have to do. There's nobody else that I have to please. There's nothing else that I have to get around to. I just get to look at Jesus in like a room of nothing because it's just Jesus. And I just get to look at him for like a thousand years. And everybody just started crying. I don't, I don't know why that illustration was so potent, but it hit our hearts. And I was like, man, that is it. The only reason heaven is great is because Jesus is there. And this is what we're going to be doing for eternity, church. Which is why we do it now as presence people. We do now what we're going to be doing forever. So let's stand up and let's pray. Appreciate you guys rolling with me this morning. just want to pray that God would respond to any intimacy deficiencies that we might have. You know, I know, I know sometime with words like this and we're kind of picking on Martha a little bit and it's easy to do, isn't it? Retrospectively, as we read the Bible, kind of like armchair quarterbacks, we look at the people in scripture like, ha, I would never do that. (laughs) We kind of pick on the people in the Bible Pick on Peter whenever he denies Jesus three times. Pick on Thomas when he wouldn't believe that Jesus showed up. Pick on Martha for, um, you know, working for Jesus and not sitting with Jesus. Like, does she not know? And yet, you know, it's, I think C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. that we believe we're just so much further along than the people in the Bible. And we're not. You know why? Because we're humans and we're dependent. And so, yeah, we kind of picked on Martha a little bit. But listen, if you felt in any way like I was picking on you, I'm sorry. Genuinely, forgive me. I'm not trying to pick on you. I, I just want Jesus to offer the conviction from the Holy Spirit that he would have to lovingly bring you back to his feet. That's it. That's all. 
If we've wandered from the feet, could you return right now? If you've wandered from the feet, just return. Lord, we repent for where we've wandered. We repent for working for you and neglecting to sit with you. We repent, God, for all of the moments that we have silenced your voice so that we could work harder on your behalf. Lord, sorry for the moments when we were doing what was good, but we, we neglected the only thing that mattered. May you take us back to our first love. If we've lost it, God, take us back to our first love. Take us back to that place. You said, God, that you would take us to that place where the deeds that we did at first, we would do again. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for your grace in returning us to your feet. Just come back home. Just for about 30 seconds longer. I just want to hang tight right here. Just come back home. Just just let your soul come back to the place that it desires to be most. Lord, we repent of busyness. My pastor used to teach me, busyness, son, is barrenness. We choose to be full. We choose to be full. We choose to be full, God, full of your presence, full of your spirit, full of your life. We just come home to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.